This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, April 28, 2011. I'm Caleb Brown. The trade deficit is one of the most misunderstood concepts in all of economics. Getting it right is of critical importance. At a March Cato Institute Capitol Hill briefing, George Mason University economist Don Boudreau discussed the misconceptions about trade. Hayek wrote a famous essay uh, entitled The Confusion of Language in Political Thought. And I don't think there's any area of policy that involves economics that has more confusing language than does the trade area. Uh, the, the talk about exports is, is right up there as confusing language. People think exports are good. I mean, to promote exports, uh, to promote a policy that, that, that emphasizes exports is like promoting a policy saying, you know, uh, vote for me. I'll implement policies that ensure that you work harder and harder and produce more and more and get less and less in return. If it was put that way, people would say, hmm, that doesn't sound so good. But that really is what all this export promotion amounts to because people don't understand the economics and they don't understand really what the term export means. They don't understand what the word import really means as they connect to each other. No term is more misunderstood in this debate than the trade deficit. Um, and I... Uh, 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 Scott kind of set me up. I'm going to actually change a little bit what I in, intended to, to say and, and, and focus a little bit on, on the trade deficit. The, the trade deficit sounds bad. Every time a news reporter talks about the trade deficit rising, there's a collective groan, oh, no, it's bad. Or if it falls, we say, whoo, that's really good news. Um, uh, it sounds like we're losing something. It sounds like uh, you know, something must be repaid. Uh, I believe that this popular view of the trade deficit uh, and it's one that I'm sorry to say is shared by uh, uh, more than a few economists who don't think seriously about trade. Actually, a lot of economists don't think seriously about economics in general, but that's, that, that's another issue. Uh, uh, I think this, this view is completely backwards. A trade deficit never, ever, ever is a cause of economic harm. It always improves the economy. It may or may not be a symptom of something gone awry, but no one should ever lament the trade deficit per se. A U.S. trade deficit or U.S. current account deficit, to be more precise, in today's world of nation-based currencies means that foreigners are investing in America. They're investing in dollar-denominated assets. I think investment's good. Investment expands the U.S. capital base. It increases our output. It makes workers more productive, and more productive workers over time earn more compensation. The standard of living rises. Investment is good regardless of the nationalities of the person doing the investment. If I like the output from the factory across town or if I find an attractive job in that factory, I don't care if that factory is owned by someone from Jacksonville or someone from Jakarta. The economic consequences in both cases are the same. To lament an American trade deficit is to lament the fact that foreigners are investing in America. And that seems rather odd to me. And it's important to keep in mind that capital, productive assets, including worker skills, is not fixed in size. It's not a fixed pie of capital in the world. It just gets redistributed according to different trade patterns and investment patterns. Capital can and does expand. It can also shrink depending upon the extant policies. Much of the fear over the trade deficit arises from the misconception that more foreign investment in America, while it might increase the size of the capital stock in America, reduces American share of ownership in that capital stock. It could be true, 
but not necessarily when BMW builds a plant in Greer, South Carolina. That doesn't shrink America's capital stock. That increases America's capital stock. Nor does it necessarily mean that Americans have less capital themselves to own. If the persons who sold the land, let's say, to BMW, took the proceeds from those land sales and started their own businesses, I don't know, Microsoft, or I'm sure that was, wasn't one of them in, 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 that, in that example, but started their own firms, invested in existing American cor or corporations, no matter where they are, they became wealthier too. Their ownership of capital increased as well. And so when foreigners invest in America, that makes us wealthier, that makes them wealthier. So whenever I hear reports of increases in America's trade deficit, I hear, oh, great, in foreigners are investing more in the United States, and I rejoice because of that. More investment here. Our capital stock is likely increasing in size, and people the world over generally still regard the United States as at least a relatively good place to invest. They have confidence in the U.S. economy. Now, one thing uh, uh, people will say is that, well, and I get this a lot. Yeah, but that, that might be true if it's people investing in companies. But what about foreigners buying Uncle Sam's treasuries? And if you think about this, you don't have to think about it too long. It's an, an incredibly odd argument. Most of the, a lot of the same people who complain about America's trade deficit are right here on Capitol Hill, and they are voting for higher budget deficits. I do think that when the U.S. trade deficit rises because foreigners are buying more U.S. treasuries, that that is a symptom of a malady, the malady being growing U.S. government indebtedness. The problem is not the trade deficit. The problem is the budget deficit. But I'm glad, given how much Congress chooses to spend, I'm glad that foreigners are here to help us burden, uh, share part of the burden of that, of that debt. Uh, I don't believe, this is an empirical question, and actually I'm starting some research on it now, I don't believe that foreigners' willingness to lend to Uncle Sam has much, if any, effect on Uncle Sam's fiscal decisions. I don't think Speaker Boehner and uh, 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 Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid are saying, well, you know, you know let, let's raise the deficit because the Chinese are willing to lend us more. I, I don't think that's what's going on. Uh, these, these decisions are made for political reasons. This is not a, a business uh, being run on sound fiscal principles. It's a bunch of political decisions being made. Uh, but regardless, regardless, if Uncle Sam is in debt, going into debt by X billion or billion, that's what a quaint number, X trillion annually now, and the foreigners are willing to help us shoulder part of that burden, I welcome it because that means that we have then less U.S. capital tied up in, in wasteful uh, government expenditures and hence more U.S. capital left available for productive private investment. I want to end with uh, two, uh, 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 two quick items. Uh, when foreigners invest here, and by, by the way, it's not the case, I don't want to leave you with the impression it's the case that most foreign investment is in U.S. Treasuries. It's not. Between 2000, the year 2000 through 2009, that 10-year span, According to recent data from UNCTAD, $1.8 trillion of direct foreign investment flowed into the United States. That's a huge amount. Of, well, maybe not anymore, given the current budget. Uh, Pre-existing uh, administration uh, uh, budget 
figures. That was a large amount of money. It's a lot of money, actually, flowing into the United States, into private, private firms. Um, and when this money comes in, it comes in with creative ideas from entrepreneurs abroad, from investors abroad. How many of you read The New Yorker? This says a lot about this audience. It's a magazine. At the, at the back of The New Yorker, for the past several years, there's this, uh, this really nice feature. It's called the, 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 the caption contest. I think that's what it's called. And they print a, a one-frame cartoon, but without a caption. It's just some guy, crazy picture, you know, of some guy, you know, I don't know, a guy dressed in men's clothes with devils hanging around. Or, or one I remember is a doctor sitting at a desk, and there was this gigantic hand coming in through the door. And that's the one, uh, 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 well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, the idea in this contest is they print these cartoons, there's no caption, and then they invite people to submit a caption. And I view that caption submission as a piece of capital, right? If you get a good caption to go along with the cartoon, you can make the cartoon funnier. And the, the better the caption, the better it fits with the cartoon, the more valuable the cartoon. So people from all over the world can contribute. You don't have to just be a New Yorker. You don't have to just be an American. You can be from Queensland or from Queens, to contribute a caption. And the, the, then they have this contest, and the best caption wins. The, the, the one I, I entered was this, this big hand coming through the door. And I thought I'd win, because the caption I submitted was you know, the doctor saying, don't worry, we'll have you invisible again in no time. But it, 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 I thought it was pretty good. It didn't, it didn't make it. It didn't, it didn't make the, the, the final three. Right. But, but, but I, I, the, the analogy I'm drawing is, uh, suppose the New Yorker limited the, people, the group of people who could submit captions to only people who lived in Manhattan. Well, they might get a really great caption, but they're eliminating possibilities of getting captions from Queens and from Queensland. By opening it up to the entire world, you don't even have to be a subscriber to the New Yorker to enter this weekly caption contest. The Ideas from all over the world get to flow in to work with this e existing piece of capital that's not yet complete. Someone else comes in, adds another piece of capital, a caption, and you get a more valuable product. By America welcoming foreign investment, we allow the creative maximum amount of creative ideas from all over the world, not limiting those ideas only to Americans. I want to end... Uh, with uh, a quotation. It's one of my favorite quotations. It has nothing to do with the trade deficit, but it does have something to do with the morality of trade. I'm very pedestrian, and one of the books that I like best is the 11-volume work by William, uh, Will and Ariel Durant on the story of civilization. And the second in that volume, this is an incredible work. The first volume was published in 1934. The last volume was published in 1975. Um, the, the second volume is entitled The Life of Greece, and uh, the Durants are talking about the rise of ancient Athens. And they said, you know, basically 100 years, this went from being a small, nondescript uh, uh, outpost, not much, to being the first great classical civilization in history. And Durant, who I don't think had any, any particular ideological bias one way or the other, ascribed Athens' rise, ancient Athens' rise, to trade. 
It says, because Athens traded, Athens became great. And this is a wonderful quotation. He says, the crossroads of trade are the meeting places of ideas, the attrition ground of rival customs and beliefs. Diversities beget conflict, comparison, thought. Superstitions cancel one another, and reason begins. Trade's not just about more goods and services. It certainly delivers that. It's not just about freedom. That's important. But it stimulates our thought. It makes us more cosmopolitan. It keeps us civilized. Thank you. Don Boudreaux is a professor of economics at George Mason University and an adjunct scholar at the Cato Institute. You can read more on trade at cato.org.